Welcome to Food and Loathing, where guests are free to make as many jokes about my hair as they like without fear of being slapped by my angry spouse. We're recording on a yeah, Tuesday. Had to be a little early. Fresh no. news. <laughs> had to be said. <laughs> had to be said. I'm your host, Al Mancini. Rick Moonen is returning to the co-host chair this week. Our producer, Rich Johnson, is once again twiddling the knobs. And we are joined at Moon and Ranch this week by Thrillist's Las Vegas correspondent and a good friend. I hope he believes the same. Rob Catchell-Rice. I think it has to do with whether I pronounced your name right. Did you, I get you, it? Were, you were extremely close and uh, much closer than most people. Okay, well. And it's good to be here. <laughs> say your name, Rob. Uh, Rob Catchell-Rice. Catchell-Rice. But people sorry. in my own family say it different. I don't think we even say it right. I think it's technically... Uh, <laughs> Cackle rice or something like that, but okay. Well, thank all, you an, an honest effort is all we ask for. That's all. Yeah, it's not just Rob K or Rob from Thrillist. Rob, both of those are good. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, well, Rob, man, welcome to the show. And Rick, good to see you. Al, always a pleasure to have you at the home. How you feeling today, Rich? I'm I'm here. I'm set up. I'm dealing with it. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> all right. You like it? He loves you. <laughs> An engineer. He does love working with me, doesn't he? Oh, man. We have two big stories from Rob that I want to discuss in just a moment. One about caviar. And for that, Rick Moonen has already laid out some caviar at Moonen Ranch for us. That's why I love recording here. One of the many reasons. The other is about our meal together at the Lost Spirits Distillery and how it might speak to a new trend in Las Vegas dining. But first, this is still the time in the show where we all chat about what we've been up to since we last got together. So, um... Rick, why don't you please start us off this week? What you been up to, my friend? Uh, I've been chilling a lot this week, actually. But I did go to dinner on Saturday night. I uh, made reservations. Uh, an old guy, um, Dwayne Landry. He was, he was the uh, senior vice president and CFO of uh, Mandalay. Anyway, he, he, he's back in town, got together. Nice guy. And so we went to Elia, you know, the Greek, the authentic Greek taverna, you know, on, on, on West Sahara. And I just, I love going there because I know Savas, the owner. Right. So I just have to text him. He gets me in. And that's always a big plus. But they always deliver great, clean food. And that's what I wanted to have, you know, a nice glass of uh, Assertico, you know, white wine that I know they have. And uh, I've been going there for, for, you know, frequently for years in their old location as well, which was further uh, south. I need to go in there with you because, you know, I'm one of the few people that never, that is not gung-ho loving that restaurant. Um, a, lot, a lot of my friends who are big foodies love that place. I, I honestly only went in once. I didn't have a great meal that time, but you know, that was years ago. So and it was the old location. Yeah. Um, maybe, you know, maybe I just caught him on a bad night. I know a lot of serious foodies love it i will say one thing i'll put them on the spot for their taramasalata is nothing <laughs> like the taramasalata that i used to get at rmc food yeah well. now you tell me do you you're the expert man you are my man on taramasalata I, I used to get that when my wife was in the hospital i went in and had you make that for me yeah. so i could bring it to her when she was sick you it, are the man for that dish. it's addictive it has so much umami you know it's just carpro that's been salted it's disgusting you know as a product <laughs> but then when you turn it into taramasalata which you added uh, i put in potatoes and almonds and onions ground up to keep the texture put in the tatama boom whisk in a lot of oil and lemon and it's delicious you know i feel like they some don't, people I, don't use the potato some people are more it's almost like a bready kind of filling. bread yeah. is also acceptable but i like and i prefer the potato i learned from uh, in new york this guy longer story you don't need to hear it but <laughs> great story maybe someday when there's nothing when you need a filler we'll bring up that up we'll... okay rob Ilya, you a fan 
Um, actually, I have not been, so that's one of the places uh, I need to check out. I love uh, Meraki. For, I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Yeah. But uh, for grab-and-go Greek, that's sort of our go-to spot. The yeah. tzatziki is just perfect. It's probably, it's probably maraki, you know, because so, yeah. whatever it is, whenever you're trying to pronounce a Greek word, figure the syllable that's least likely. To be. And then you'll, <laughs> you'll, be, be, you'll be right a higher percentage. I yeah. guarantee you. Well, my wife judges every uh, Greek place based on the uh, tzatziki. So theirs is great. So bring it home, dip some bread into it, and... Well, Meraki, if you're into Greek food, Meraki's really interesting because I like the place. I like, um, you know, Greg, Greg uh, Guerrer, Gerrer, is that his name who owns it? But Jerry, everybody calls him Jerry. I'm not, I'm not familiar with Gerrer. I haven't been there. Um, but anyway, I've always liked that, that restaurant and I used to go in there all the time and I always saw the um, Michael Mina group people in there, right? <laughs> and it's this little Good grab sign. and go, little grab and go, and they're yeah. always in there. Adam Sobel is always in there eating. Just all those guys. And then next thing you know, they team up with the Mina Group and they open those restaurants first in Florida and then yep. in San Francisco. And yeah, it's been a tremendously successful. But that was all born out of a grab and go joint over by Spanish Trails, basically. And yeah, it's cool to see Vegas kind it's of still there. Those one. Yeah, the original Meraki. But they have like three three locations. Yeah, there's Vegas. one uh, down kind of towards uh, Tivoli Village area across from Boca Park where the uh, Barnes & Noble is, I believe. You know where you can find all of those locations? On the Neon Feast app. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Time. I've never heard of Rick's Neon Feast. It's staring me right <laughs> in the eye. Uh, Rich, what about you? Where have you been recently? Well, man? Neon Feast has inspired uh, me to finally start getting to all these places we've been talking about for 40-plus episodes. And <laughs> Joanna and I went, finally, I, in my shame, but uh, bragging, we finally made it to Ada's Wine Bar last Friday. Time, Love man. that. Uh, yeah, go. That's a good I had, place. We had been before James Trees owned it, whatever that the name of that thing in that space was, before and it was okay, but it didn't really. I thought it was an ice cream. No, I no, it was a, yeah. it was a full service. I think place. wasn't it a pizza place before James? Oh yeah, made it a pizza I think place. It was a pizza place, and then he added his ice cream this to it. This may have been even before it was a pizza mm-hmm. place. This is about three years ago, three yep. and a half. Uh, anyway, beet hummus and tuna crudo to start. Wonderful. The hummus is wonderful, but very delicate and kind of overpowered by having a piece of pepper to dip it in. I tasted more pepper than hummus. We ended up just getting the spoons and going right for the hummus. He's going deep. I know, it's I know. It's just good. It's not supposed to think that much. I'm, tr- you know, <laughs> I, I'm feeling it. Taking tuna crudo in a sauce of miso blood orange and fennel. That's, quite that's a weird dish, that tuna crudo. Because yeah. it's, a, um, it's a little thicker than usual. It, yeah, normally crudo is very, very light, but that yeah. was a very um, rich. a daunting, rich crudo, but I really do like it. Speaking of rich, gambas a la ajillo, which I've oh, really wiped out. Shrimp, crispy garlic, guajillo, apello, chili, and lemon, all in a very dark toast bathed in oil and sauce. I would just have that toast. Well, that, that toast nice. gets so drenched yeah. in that sauce. Yeah. I, I had that same dish about two weeks ago. And it's you can't even pick it up. you got to cut it with oh, yeah, you gotta fork. Cut. It's like literally like become a liquid from all of that. Yeah, that's what it's supposed yeah. to be. It's yeah. about dipping that. It's... And that and the toast is pretty much kind of burned. And you'd look at it and go, oh, that's too, too burned. But that added to the flavor mm-hmm. as that well. That same toast wonderful. you used to dip in their muscles there. At, uh, uh, at next Aces. time. Yeah. Joanna had the sea bass in a, Old in mints a, are soaking. A sesame crust, a bowl of brown and wild rice. Very nice. 
I washed it down, and, and I don't know how I became a wine guy all of a sudden, because I'm not a wine guy. I just like what I like. And this was a $45. That's what every wine guy should say. <laughs> yeah. I like what I like. And, and I also, you know, being an Oregonian, I favor the Oregon Dundee, uh, New, Newport, New, not Newport, Newburgh, McMinnville mm. area of Sounds Willamette like a wine Valley. Guy to me. Willamette. <laughs> yes. Willamette, damn it. OPP, Other People's Pinot from Dundee. <laughs> it was 45 bucks a bottle, which means it's like 25 if you buy retail. And that, as markups go, is pretty damn reasonable. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, the genius of Ada's. A lot of wines, it being a wine bar. The markup appears to be nowhere near what it is at most fine dining places. So, yeah. yeah. And Ada's, yeah. yeah. Ada's has a lot of reasonably priced wines in there. I yeah. Like that. And what I love about them, too, is they have a good selection of European uh, small producers, a lot of low intervention wines. And they're very smart there about their wines, too. So if you talk to them, they'll explain. Exactly. You know where the yeah. wine comes from. They, they take away the fear of ordering wine that you've never heard of. Don't go in there to think, "Oh, I don't know enough." Go in there knowing you're going to learn. Just tell me what you like. Yeah. Just yeah. like you just describe what you like. Yeah, I yeah. like Hey, I like the stuff that doesn't burn my esophagus. Boom, I know oh, just what you, you want. You know? It doesn't matter your descriptors. You don't have to be a sommelier. And we're sitting away. by a wall with shelves of bottles of things, and they, in grease pencil they have put the price on all the bottles. So you say, ninety, eighty. 60, 140? Well, geez, that's not bad at all for something that's, you know, mm-hmm. totally in French. It's brilliant. And they have a lot of open bottles, too. So they'll come out and they'll pour you a sample, a little taste, and they'll be like, well, if you like that, try this. And it comes yeah. from here, and this is why it's good. This podcast brought to you by James. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like yeah. it is sometimes. No, we, we love you, brother. <laughs> I keep having good meals at his restaurants. Yeah. What the fuck we can do? Let me, let uh, me, let me talk true. about non-dairy cheese inspired by a bit in the RGIs I saw from the uh, uh, Pizza Fest. Uh, a non-dairy cheese called Follow Your Heart said it has improved its recipe to make it belt, melt better on pizzas, its mozzarella version. So I went out and bought a different brand. <laughs> well, that, Albertson's looking uh, for uh, sure the Follow RJ Your Heart. Very proud of writing that. Yeah, story. <laughs> you I found BioLife. It offered bags of a Mexican-style shred and mozzarella shreds. We put the Mexican on the nachos, and it was great. Uh, I was. I'm really ready to hate stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it really worked well in the nachos. The mozz version we had last night did not work out so well. It did not melt well. Uh, it was a weird pasty mouthfeel. You should have come with me to Pizza Expo. I mean, that's yeah. all they're showing for the past two years is non-dairy vegan, cheese. non-dairy. I had a hard time finding pizza that wasn't plant-based. Yeah, <laughs> at this year's Pizza Expo, yeah. it was all yeah. fucking plant-based and gluten-free, right? It was like, can yeah. I just get a greasy slice of, um, you know, clog my yeah. arteries pepperoni, and they were, there's none of it, yeah. man. Dead so, pig pepperoni. I'll stick with Violife for the nachos, and I will go find Follow Your Heart for the next pizza and get back to you on that. Okay. Lest we forget our guest, Rob. Have you eaten anywhere exciting recently, or do we need to check Thrillist? For that? Um, everything will be in Thrillist, but um, <laughs> over the weekend, we finally made it out to the Noodle Den at Sahara, which we hadn't gone to yet. Going it's been there open tonight, for a while. Actually. Okay. And um, we're always about the Xiaolong uh, Bao, the soup dumplings, and they do a really good version of that there. It's pretty casual place, but, you know, it's still a nice dining room, very nice service, and um, all the food was solid. Um, and then... Um, the next night, uh, we went to go see the Scorpions, and before that, we did dinner at Delilah. 
Rocked uh, you like a hurricane. Yes. Um, <laughs> wow. So uh, with uh, Skid Row opening up, but uh, it's we not Skid Row unless Sebastian Bach is singing for them. Was he singing for them? Uh, no, he has not been with them for yeah, Rach, a, a long, long time now. Snake, Dave, Rachel, fuck y'all. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but it, it was a good show. But the best show was at uh, Delilah that night. Really? Um, and I know I'm jumping the gun a little bit because we're gonna get into that topic a little more later. But uh, I think the first time I was at Delilah was with Al, <laughs> who uh, forgot about the reservation and the... showed up late. Oops. Showed up an hour late. Rob's texted me, we're at Delilah. <laughs> and what I was... got hot dogs on the grill. Yeah, so it was you and me <laughs> and, and Brock from Las Vegas Weekly. And um, what was cool is that night, they were out of the uh, Tableside Beef Wellington, the Wagyu Beef Wellington. Right. And so uh, my wife and I got to try it on Saturday and... Uh, Worth the weight and yeah. worth the price. It's yeah, delicious. Josh Smith. Josh he's, is he's, yeah. he's, he's, he's uh, legit. Yeah. And it's one of those things, though, it, it, it looks kind of small when they're slicing it up table side, but it's a lot of meat. It's a lot of food in there. Wellington's a rich dish. Yeah. Man. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Well, thank you for that. And we're going to get more to a little bit about Delilah. I did a lot of things this week. I'm going to roll through them in a lightning round manner, but you guys jump Bing. in if any of it sounds Ring the bell. fun. Um, <laughs> I attended a launch party for Pepsi Nitro in the lounge at the High Roller Observation Wheel on the link. If you're wondering why I would even bother speaking to you about a soft drink launch allow me to break it down for you in how undeniably vegas this experience was <laughs> first they're infusing pepsi with nitrogen mix similar to what's used to make guinness so smooth and frothy that's just a very vegas fucking thing to do second the only place it's currently being offered on tap is the lounge at the foot of the 550 foot observation wheel on the las vegas strip third they use it to make cocktails Yay. Yay. And fourth, my cocktail also had gold dust in it, so my lips looked like I'd been <laughs> licking a stripper. So uh, yeah, that was a very Vegas experience, and it was fun. By the way, on a related note, my biggest pet peeve with cocktails is glitter on the rim. <laughs> oh, God. Yes, because you, you drink that, and then you go home, and you look like you've been cheating. You yeah, know? sure. Yeah. I don't the, like The strip is glitter. like 90% Pepsi and maybe 10% Coke or all of Vegas. There's only a couple of Coke uh, casinos around. Circa Vegas is a to Pepsi mind. town. Though. Yeah, it really is a Pepsi. We're gonna town. have to do a survey on that. Yeah, you're gonna buy Pepsi, okay? Yeah, I'll <laughs> <Alcoholic laughs> Pepsi. <laughs> also, this week I had a pre-VGK snack at Bavette's on Saturday before watching the Golden Knights go kick some ass, which is fun to watch them win because <laughs> they don't do that a lot <laughs> lately. Yeah. Uh, I've been craving their peppered duck and goat cheese terrine, so I was actually doing the math in my head: Do I have time to make it over there uh, for a game? And so we got to the strip a bit early. Um, we had our Golden Knights jerseys on. I even jerseyed up. That's how desperate we were for Whoa, a win. I jerseyed yeah, up. Man. And I was like, I don't know, man. Bavette's is such a beautiful restaurant. Could you go in there? Like, looking, you know, I'll They're like, of course, it's nighttime. We went in. We sat at the bar. The bartender actually had the Neon Feast app on his phone without me asking. He showed it to me. That Whoa. was cool. Yay. But, man, that terrine, if you guys have not had it, just go to Bavette's for that smoked duck and um, goat cheese, and it's just beautiful. It's with this um, mustardo, I think an apricot mustardo they serve it with, and this big crusty bread. Oh, shit, it's so awesome. So I loved that. I'm going to send you over there. Um, on Friday night, we did a little tour of the Arts District, Venison Tartare and Shrimp and Grits at Main Street Provisions. Went from there to live music at Soul Belly, and then some dessert at Creamy Ice Creamery. I love the Arts District, because you can just hop from place to yeah. place um, without being in a casino, where you know I like to do those diner like Brooklyn, casinos. you know, you go from one store to another. There's a coffee yeah. store. There's a thing. Yeah. Individual, but the best. Have you guys yeah. been to the new uh, Windy City uh, hot dog stand that they got up? 
Where? Where it's behind it? you or me, the sushi place. Okay, and now. they have oh. a Chicago. I don't know what it's called. That's not the name of it. I I don't think, mm -hmm. but it's uh, served Chicago style hot dogs, kind of in the parking lot behind. I noticed that Whoa. they had something set mm -hmm. up. I thought they were serving sushi takeout on it because I par I tried to park in that lot, but it was full. But that that well, obviously they said let's have something totally opposite <laughs> from sushi right outside okay. and. We were there a couple of weeks ago, actually, eating at Esther's, if we want to give James some more pubs. Yeah, yeah. Um, we don't plug James uh, enough. And that was wonderful, too. But we, we walked by, and we're like, there's cool. This, this is cool. There's some energy to the stand, and I love a good Chicago hot dog. I don't then, like ketchup on my hot dog. They need some publicity. We should go attacking with ketchup. <laughs> yeah. Do it, man. It'll be a fist fight. <laughs> a war over ketchup. <laughs> well, man, the Arts District is just remains on fire, and um, yeah, I'll go check that out, too. Sounds like you get a hot dog there, maybe sit over at... Um, well, no, you know, that's the problem. You can't sit at those patios at, like, Craft House anymore, right? Well, they're that doing streets all ripped up, right yeah. now. But I think by the uh, hot dog stand, and we walked by quickly and checked it out, but I think they got some picnic tables outside, so you can grab a bite and take it to go or just hang out there and finish it off. Another thing, if you're in the Arts District, and Sue and I were we were walking by Majestic Repertory Theater and realized it was the last night that The Craft was showing there. And of course, we had forgotten to go see The Craft, which I wanted to. But I want to do, do want to send a shout out to Troy Hurd. Majestic Repertory Theater right there on Main Street has some great shows. Mm. Troy saw us walking out of the ice cream spot and he's like, you want to watch the end of Act Two? So we watched the big, crazy ending of Act Two of The Craft. It was the final night. Um, so you can't go see The Craft. But keep your eye on Majestic because they have really cool shows they in there. They have a new one actually starting on Friday when, when this podcast comes out so yeah. April 1st what is it it's like I think musical, it's I think musical. it's musical yeah musical that's if I'm remembering it. my notes no, musical back on my laptop at home but uh yeah they do a great job and they have some talented people there yeah. so whatever a musical is about I would go check it out okay. and there's plenty of great places to eat while you're down there absolutely mm -hmm. yeah it's fun Fun little neighborhood. On Saturday, we went to check out Antonio Nunez's new brunch service on Water Street in Henderson. Uh, I think it's called the Secret Society of Brunchers or something like that. Um, you know, we talked about this in advance. Um, you go in through the back door off Water Street. You go up. Like, it's very good fellas, you know, right. that you're walking in. And, yeah. You know, um, I actually walked and walked through the kitchen. I went the wrong way. But then you go out <laughs> to what looks like... Um, you know, it looks like it's a, a wedding space or a convention hall or whatever, a, an event space, right? Um, but they have, you know, Antonio is always about doing things that are a bit clubby, but not in a club scene, right? So it's a party brunch, man. I saw right. all the influencers there. All the Instagrammers were there. They were all shooting champagne <laughs> into each other's mouths with fucking guns full of champagne. COVID doing over, champagne right? bombs, like all that shit. That is so not my scene. Um, and that is not for me to say it's a bad thing. It's awesome. I don't know how that's going to work on Water Street, but if you're up for that kind of bachelorette party vibe, I think it's awesome that they have it on Water Street and they've got a great patio there overlooking actual Water Street. So you can go out, dine on the patio. The Lifeguard Arena is right across the, the casinos are there. So I think it's a really cool attempt. I had some cool dishes, chicken fried steak on a biscuit, short rib empanadas, breakfast ramen with short rib, a steak benny. Creme brulee toast and the muffins, which were almost like a s'more style muffin. I thought the sweets were better, a little better than the savory, but the food's really original. I mean, for a place that's this party yeah. scene and kind of, again, bachelorette party vibe. Um, it's kind of like you want to go there in your pajamas, you know? Yeah. Whoa. But, no, that's, that's, <laughs> like Carrie Simons. That's right. Remember right? that? Yeah. yeah by the uh, pool. I used to go in my pajamas to that. I bought pajamas Pajama just to brunch. wear to Carrie Simons pajamas. See, now party. Next, that's next level. So you've done that, but this is no good. But also now, no, no, this is good. I'm not saying it's not good. I'm just saying, even when I went to 
Carrie Simon's brunch, that was not the whoop whoop and let's put a you like know, champagne bongs, yeah. yeah. you know, where the with the curved champagne flute where you, the bubbles shoot the out of your mouth yeah. and you spit shit all over the floor and uh. your friends laugh and they put you on social media. That's fucking awesome if you're 30 years younger than me. <laughs> that is just not nobody right. wants to see old man having <laughs> Shit! When 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 I start foaming at the mouth, like call the ambulance on me. It is not time to go. Woo, woo, not you time know? To go it's not good. Yeah. That is not sign of Al having go, a good Al, party. Go. That means that Al needs nine one one. So I'm just nine one one. I'm understanding that it is not for me, but I'm still recommending it to other people. And finally, I went to a UNLV. The UNL Vino dinner at Mon Ami Gabi. And if you're not familiar, this was just last night as we're recording this. If you're not familiar with UNL Vino, it's part of the curriculum at UNLV's hospitality school. It allows students to get some real world experience working at top culinary events at the greatest hospitality city in the world, Las Vegas, Nevada. It's going, it's been going on for, I think like 48 years or some shit like that. And it always seems to be changing, especially after COVID. So I spoke to one of the students who was working at this event. Her name is Kaya or Kaya Thomas. And I asked her what UNLVNA is and what it provides for the students. So let's just let her chat. UNLVNA um, represents just an experience that kind of introduces them to the culinary world for those students that don't have that experience going into it. Like if they've only ever really done their schoolwork, you know, this is actual um, real life hands-on activity that they get to do as well as I'm actually part of the front of house team, not the culinary team. Um, so what we do is we have experience planning the event, uh, putting it on. It gives us some skills that we need going into the world, uh, such as just organizational skills, team building skills, communication skills. We already know that UNLV has, you know, one of the best F&B programs. If you want to do that for a living, that's where you want to go to school. What kind of though, how unique are the opportunities that a program like UNLV know actually presents? Because I've, I've got to think that people coming out of, you know, nothing against Johnson and Wales or wherever, but I got to think that they don't get to do things like this in the Eiffel Tower at Paris, Las Vegas. No, it's very unique. Um, it's different every year. This year is way different than the previous years. This is the 48th year that they're doing it. Um, in previous years, they've had three back-to-back uh, -back nights of dining experiences and wine tasting experiences. This year, we're doing it separately. Um, so we have the first one, of course, tonight. Uh, the next one's going to be in April. And then we have the grand tasting event, which is in May. Um, but yeah, so that's just a unique experience in itself that every time you're going to be planning something different, um, you're going to be active in something different. Um, was it scaled back this year because of the uncertainty about COVID or was it to get a different type of experience? Um, I think a little bit of both, definitely. It was scaled back because of COVID. They just wanted to be as safe as possible going into it, uh, especially when talks about it were first happening, you know, because this is a big event. It takes months to plan. Um, there was still uncertainty regarding about how many people you could have in the building. Um, you know, safety for COVID. Um, however, it's also a chance th to make something unique and different and special for um, those that have already been to UNLV before. Uh, they get to experience something different than they have in previous years, those guests. The Grand Tastings have been changed up, switched up a bit for the past few years. Um, what should people expect this year and are there still tickets available? Yes, there are still tickets available. You can check out unlvino.com to get tickets on that. Um, what they should expect is just experiencing tons of different wines from across the world. Um, delicious wines. Uh, Where's the location? The location's going to be at UNLV. That's another big um, new experience is that it's at uh, the Hospitality Hall. So people will be able to actually go in and see the students that they're supporting, the place that they learn, and how they... Um, 
yeah, where they're at, their day-to-day life, and what they're actually supporting, I guess is what I would yeah, say. And that hospitality hall is pretty amazing. I was there for the Women's Hospitality Initiative a couple years back. It's a gorgeous building, great facility you guys have there. Yeah, it's a multi-million dollar facility. Um, so many different uh, key players in the hospitality world are a part of that facility. We have, you know, so many different... Um, the Boyd Gaming has their own little office in there for the Student Success Center, basically. We also have MGM Grand as part of it. Marriott's Kitchen is up front. And then, of course, Southern Glaciers um, has a, a little classroom up there as well. So it's awesome to see. It's beautiful. Cool. So the people that are doing this, are they graduating this year and going out into the workforce? Yes. Um, most of the students that I'm here with tonight are actually going into events. Um, so this is a great class for them to be able to present that. Um, yeah, we're all going out into the hospitality world and we're excited to see uh, what's out there for us, considering it's kind of different, you know, with COVID. And that's why I always like going to you on Alvino events is because I feel like I see people as students and then it's only a year or two later that I see them in the best restaurants on the strip. It's awesome. It gives us a chance to network here as well. That's awesome. So we get to meet guests and talk to everyone that's attending. And there's a lot of um, alumni that come and attend these events. There's some people at this dining series right now that are um, alumni. So that's really cool to see the community that you and Alvino builds. And the last I checked, there were still some tickets available for their next event, a 50-seat dinner at Anima on April 11th. I'll actually be in Mexico. I will not be there. And I know there are still tickets available for the Grand Tasting on May 7th. Gentlemen, have you been to UNL Vino events? I mean, I think it's a very Vegas thing, and I'd like to spread the word about it. I was very happy to see uh, UNL Vino return this year because, you know, it's a fundraiser. It helps out a big part of our uh, local industry here and students who are coming up and doing the hospitality thing. And, you know, we're not quite fully back. Instead of doing big events, they're kind of doing a series of smaller events, starting with Monami, um, going ahead to Anima, and then the Grand Tasting, which I think is at the Paris. Do I have that right? Yeah. No, it's actually, and... You know, oh, it's we, actually, you, yes, it's on it's UNLV. On UNLV's. Because um, they used to do it at Paris, I think. They've had it all over the they place. Have, the last one have. I was at was at the Keep Memory Alive Center. Um, but yeah, they've had yeah. it all over. So, you know, they're not, they're not jumping back in full into it, but, you know, they're kind of... Uh, doing it on a smaller scale, and I think it's great to see those guys come back. It has evolved, like you said. It used to be humongous, gigantic. Mm-hmm. It was a drunk fest. You couldn't even help it. Yeah. You know, at the end of it, people were tripping over themselves You know, when they were leaving. You know, I've done I've done it a couple of times, participated in it on different levels when I had my restaurants in Mandalay Bay, and I am talking to a lot of people and doing things with UNL, uh, UNLV, the school and the hospitality uh, uh, sector of that and um they're really excited about it it's really tremendous this whole UNLV you know, is uh, finally seems to have hit a place that is uh, makes more sense to me i guess is that a way of saying it but you know i i remember talking to michael severino about it because yeah. he was heavily involved with it for many many years and he told me about uh, it's hard for me to imagine that michael was at the very first one but i think he may have even if it was like 40 some years ago yeah. uh, i don't feel but anyway he he said it started off in a warehouse and it was literally in a southern glazers wine spirits warehouse like you know a million years ago but the cool thing about when you go to UNL Vino is you know you know that these are actual culinary students they're about to graduate mm-hmm. they're going to be serving you in a good restaurant next yeah. year and that's really cool i agree you know? and something you should probably point out is that i think all of these events even the grand tasting there's a limited amount of tickets 
So they're trying to keep attendance relatively contained. So if you want to get tickets, I, I would do that sooner rather than later. Yeah, and I think it's unlvino.com, but you all know how to use the Google machine, so figure it out. You're bright. <laughs> uh, coming up, Rob talks about caviar's exploding popularity, but first, exactly what goes on at Lost Spirits Distillery's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea dinner, and how does it reflect a new trend, or does it actually reflect a new trend in Las Vegas dining? This is Food and Love. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So a couple of weeks ago, Thrillist writer Rob K. <laughs> I'm going to fuck it up again if I do it again. And his wife, Mary, invited Sue and I to be guests at the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea dinner at Lost Spirits Distillery. I've held off on speaking about it until after Rob's story ran, but it's up now. You can find it at Thrillist.com. So now I can speak freely about our meal, and I wanted to have Rob on. And talk about it. Rob, you've done a, dug a lot deeper into this experience than I have. You've done some in-depth interviews and um, enjoyed it as I did. So, man, let's let you start. For those who have yet to read your story, how would you describe this dinner, man? Uh, first of all, thank you for joining us at the dinner. It was a lot of fun. And uh, we had our friends Tom and Vanessa with us as well. So it was a good uh, group of six people. Um, and what's cool about uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, which is the actual name of the dining component, of Lost Spirits is that it's about 16 courses, small bites following um, the theme of the book and the movie, which I believe Al has been watching on Disney Plus. Yeah, I do go back and watch that movie on Disney <laughs> Plus. I like it. It's like, wow, I can't believe this is on Disney Plus. It's a dark fucking movie. Yeah, you know? well, th that's the whole thing. That's what the theme that the dinner follows is people are, I guess, on land at first, and then they're taken captive and. Even though they're prisoners, they're enjoying this five-star experience on this submarine with Captain Nemo. And, um, and that's kind of the idea. You're, you're captives, but you're enjoying this uh, incredible meal. And it starts off whimsical. It takes a little bit of a dark turn. And I don't know if I want to give away too many spoilers, but kind of the climax where... A, pi a pig's head makes an appearance. Pig's head makes an appearance. And I will There's pictures it. up on my social media of the pig's head up there. Um, music is very much a part of it. A lot of Leonard Cohen. A lot of Leonard Cohen. And you know oh what? Boy. If you asked me before that dinner about Leonard Cohen, I would say, what was, what's the big deal with this guy? Mm -hmm. I kind of get it now. Now when you're a prisoner on a submarine, yes. you think Leonard Cohen. And also um, when you're sitting around the lounge that's near the dining room where it sort of mimics an undersea world. I mean, it's not too crazy, but they have chandeliers that sway. They got these little cartoon fish that go through the window. <laughs> and you're sitting there sipping uh, their house rum while uh, or whiskey in that situation with uh, Leonard Cohen in the background. It's, it's definitely a vibe. Yeah, uh, and here's like a couple takeaways for me. First mm -hmm. of all, the entire Lost Spirits distillery, this is my first time going in there, right? And I like it because in a way, it's almost like experimental theater in a big city more than a Vegas production, yeah, it's right? Im it's immersive. You know, you're completely, you know, you get smacked with a 110 proof, uh, you know, uh, 
welcome drink. Right. Yeah. The you know, so like, and, and it's not, and they go through great uh, lengths, I, I believe, from reading your story, <laughs> yeah. that, you know, as you're going down, they do a lot of things to change your mentality about where you're going. So you're leaving the strip, you're leaving all of that, you're going into something different and new, and then they control the rest. I think that's awesome. But, the, but, as opposed to Las Vegas, where everything is so like state of the art technology, top of the line, immersive to the point that you feel like you're literally living in the video game at so many Vegas experiences. This is very like you could see the plywood. You could <laughs> see like and, and that's fucking awesome for me because I came up out of East Village off, off, off Broadway, you know, shows, you know, we were just talking about Majestic Repertory Theater. Right. And this this has that feel that they don't care if you can see the strings like when you're in the submarine section on your way down. I don't want to give too much away either, but it is very much like being on what used to be the 20,000 League Under the Sea ride in Disney. That's and that's since been turned into a Finding Nemo ride. And, you know, it's not nearly as much fun. But the fish out the window is a fucking Billy Bass, right? <laughs> like, and it's, I mean, like, it's just, I mean, literally. And they, they make no qualms about it. And, you know, so it's, it's that kind of fun. You know, they're not trying to fool you. They're just having a great time, really getting you into the vibe. The chef there is so amazing. Yeah. And one of the things I like about her is just seeing a chef who's really been encouraged to just go off and read the novel, have fun with these ideas, and be as crazy as you fucking want. And the entire Lost Spirits distillery is like, maybe we'll do a whole story on that one of these days. Because, you know, that guy, I don't know, figured out how to artificially age whiskey. And he, he's, he's been on the Smithsonian magazines written about him and he's using like photosynthesis to break down wood and speed. And so he's got like a bajillion dollars he made selling that patent, I think. And this is what he's doing for fun. And he's empowered his chef. And it's really fun to see a chef who's been empowered by her boss to just have fun with this. Yeah, and that's what he told me is that he doesn't care if the restaurant part makes money. He wants it to be the dinner that it can be the best experience it can, that it can follow a tailor's vision. And I mean, if you look at the format, I think it's 12 people sat either once or twice a night, and that's it. And they get the 16 course uh, presentation. And we've kind of talked about, you know, the theme of this podcast, the dinner and show thing. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about this dinner and show is at least when you sit down to dinner, the dinner is the show. It's all about presentation. Um, it's all about these little vessels. You know, you open up a Fabergé egg and you get the caviar and um, some other elements to it. Um, you know, the whale meat, quote unquote, that's really uh, Wagyu beef. <laughs> yeah. Um, but for the, sli I don't know if we want, I wouldn't call it kitschy, but there's a little bit of a goofy aspect to Lost Spirits in general. Mm -hmm. um, but the food takes itself very, very seriously. And the spirits do yeah. too. And that's where you find the balance there. And then you get out and you wander around, you mm -hmm. can still drink, and there's all kinds of tours and you know ex exploration, mm -hmm. and then they put on shows, right? So there's a burlesque dancer, or there's an aerialist, or a, I don't know, a fire, whatever, like yes. fire. And the Moonshiners, who are one of the best bands I've seen in a long time, in the Jazz Lounge, doing kind of old school Prohibition style takes on Lizzo and mm -hmm. yeah. So it's, Contemporary it's really exclusive. I mean, it's not a it's not not a crowd of people. You're not going to bring in. If you get the whole table of twelve, I'm sure you know and you're buying it out. That's yeah. probably a lot of fun. Let me ask you a question. You both go out a lot. And you eat. So um, did you leave hungry? Because sixteen courses sounds like a lot, but some you know in certain places you go and there's a, a dab of foam on the plate, and that's cool. Uh, what, what I loved about the dinner: it's sixteen courses, but a lot of them are small bites, mm -hmm. and 
um, like I didn't feel overwhelmed at the end, but also I no, didn't. You were hungry. I didn't. I, no, I didn't. Yeah, feel you hungry. were. No, I wasn't. With In and Out, <laughs> we got pictures of you with In and Out. <laughs> but no, no, you do feel very satisfied. You feel like you got a great experience. Um, there's always something a little bit more, and I think it goes slightly more than 16 courses if you count in all the amuses and yeah, palate yeah. cleansers and things like that. And I'll say, look, I only ate about half of it, and the, the reason is something people should know, mm -hmm. especially if you're, an, you know, you have substance abuse problem or whatever. They use raw alcohol in a lot of the dishes, oh, sure, right? Sure. So there, there's a lot raw of rum-soaked, rum, -soaked, rum yeah. spirits. You cannot get an alcohol-free version of this. You can, of course, not sip your cocktails, but you're going to get alcohol. As I've made no qualms about, I've got liver issues from way too much drinking. So right. I was not eating every bite of every dish because of that reason. And I did not leave hungry. Okay, cool. Okay. So, uh, you know, I think that now you, I don't think you'd ever be stuffed. You'd never say, I can't eat this last thing. When she starts digging into the pig a little deeper towards the end says, does anybody want another slice? I said, does anybody, yes. Does anybody want an eyeball? Anybody I, want an eyeball? Yeah. <laughs> I never have a problem with that. I just asked it so listeners can kind of, because a lot of people want to know that stuff. Right. I'm going to spend that money. I'm going to finally get in. I'm just like going to Hamilton, you know, I'm going to yeah. make sure I enjoy it. So, yeah. Yeah. And you should know, as Al said, there's a lot of alcohol involved in the dinner, and that's sure. the only way it can be made. Um, because we're kind of used to these dinners, these multi-course dinners, where there's a glass of wine with everything they bring out. Mm -hmm. And at first, you look back on the meal, and you're like, oh, they didn't really bring out a lot of pairings. But then we started counting them up. They were like, there was this cocktail, and then that. Yeah, yeah. And actually, there is quite a bit. And then add in the fact that there's a lot of raw alcohol in every dish to some extent. Um, yeah, it does add up. And then you're also sipping around Lost Spirits either before or after the dinner, too. Yeah. So this entire experience put together, as we said, by Chef Taylor Perch. And before we talk about how it all fits into the current Las Vegas culinary scene, I want to play a little chat I had with her. I want to give people some background because Vegas is a town where we know a lot of the same chefs. We see them in the same restaurants, et cetera. Or they come into Las Vegas because they're with a the big celebrity chef, right? right? So, But you are relatively new to town, and some people here may not be familiar with you. So could you just give us a little bit of your background, please? Sure. Uh, so I've been cooking for about 16 years, uh, primarily in fine dining and higher-end restaurants. I come from the CIA in Napa Valley. I worked for John Shook and Vinnie Dotolo in Los Angeles. I was at Bestia, Tuamec, uh, and The Bazaar by Jose Andreas for a very, very, very long time. Um, those are my family. That's my people. And that's just what I love. Like, I love that style of food. I love those people. Um, I love this community. It's my home. So we have been speaking on this podcast so far about what this experience was like. Rob and I have been discussing this. Um, but in your words, could you explain what it is you try to do at the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea dinner? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so this is an experience. This is, it, it surrounds you. It's all about sensory overload, right? So if it was just food, that would be one thing, but it's not. It's music, it's lighting, it's scenery, it's scent, it's what you hear, what you taste, what you smell, all of these things um, collectively create 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And it is an experience more than it's just dinner, you know? How motivated and inspired by the novel are you? Because in Las Vegas, a lot of times things just kind of pay a tribute right yeah, we, we, we yeah we yeah okay we'll give them a little nod but i feel like you really dug deeply into this story and the work itself and the way it was written i really did i read it like seven or eight times which is not an easy feat because it's a, it's an aggressive book um 
but once you read it so many times and you're in it all the time uh a lot of these different notions and ideas start to seep out at you um one of the things that i really love a lot about it is this idea of choice what is choice if your choice is to live or die like is that even really choice or is it primal instinct at that point do you is it something that you honestly choose or is it your nature choosing for you? Um, so that's one of my main things that I really, really like to dive into. I also really love the visuals of the book that came through me. Like um, this idea of people chasing around birds. I, I'm obsessed with it. I love it. Like it makes me laugh every time. Uh, you know, these very luxurious moments of their of them being prisoners like but they're still treated with such luxury um and that's something that stuck with me a lot a lot a lot so yeah i pull a lot of influence from the book and for me it's a story you know and the lighting changes with the story and we go from sort of a traditional french uh table and lighting and cuisine to a more in-depth deep sea version of what that might look like because that's how the story evolves um you start on land and then you go into the scene so that's what we did here how are you approached and pitched on this project because <laughs> i gotta think it was a slightly different interview process than um than you, when getting a job at the bazaar for yes, example it is. It was a very, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and i love chef jose and i'm sure he has his own weird thing going very, on but i'm sure this was very different it's a very different interview process um i actually this is my second restaurant with Lost Spirits. The first one was Fisher Flesh in Los Angeles. Uh, and when we were opening, when Brian wanted to open Fisher Flesh, he was looking for somebody. He likes to say that he wanted to find himself at 30. <laughs> he was like someone who's kind of an asshole, <laughs> but has a lot of drive and heart. Um, and so we talked a lot. We sort of, bounced ideas back and forth and it evolved into what Fisher Flesh was, which then evolved into what 20,000 Leagues is. Um, so just like my dishes, just like anything, uh, this process evolved aggressively because that's how you find, not necessarily, I can't call anything the best version of itself, but I can tell you that this is the best version that I have of this at this moment. Um, and it will get better and maybe it'll turn into something else. And, but that's the same reason why I don't do menu switch. Like that's the same reason why I don't do menu flops, right? Because seasons don't immediately change. They don't flop. Like people don't do that. People evolve. Seasons evolve. Menus evolve. Restaurants evolve. Um, and if you're not constantly growing and evolving, you're stagnant. You're dead. So that's how Fisher Flesh and Twenty Thousand Leagues came to be, which was an extensive evolution of <laughs> what we wanted to make it started off doing tea service that was our initial plan was to do like an english tea service <laughs> wow and now we're fucking here <laughs> <laughs> yeah so evolution is fucking real dude like i don't know what to tell you <laughs> i get the impression maybe this is just the air you're trying to put out there but i i get the impression that you're in a very enviable position of being told do what's in your heart. Do what you're passionate about. 
and to a certain level, spare no expense. Although I understand <laughs> there were a few things that were a little too pricey. But, you know, and you seem very interested in bringing the best. I mean, Las Vegas is known for having the best quality ingredients. And, you know, there are a lot of places where you can get legitimate, not only legitimate A5, but, you know, yeah. real Kobe and, yeah. you know, things like that. But you seem to have been told, do your best. Bring what you can bring. And almost to the point where you're not as burdened by cost as some chefs find themselves in. I Maybe I'm wrong about that, but uh, did, did you get a lot of freedom in designing this? I'm, I tell everybody that I'm the luckiest chef in the world. Um, all the time. I will shout it from the rooftops. I really am the luckiest chef in the world because Brian's weird like me. Brian, like, when you meet somebody who's the same kind of weird as you, you're like, fucking yes, finally, <laughs> right? Like, someone understands me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he really did build this distillery off some crazy ass dreams and ideas, but he did it with his two hands. And so as much as it is like a spare no expense thing, I build every single thing in here. So all of the plates, I buy them from antique shops or whatever, and then I rebuild them myself. So while it does seem like a crazy financial burden to do all of these beautiful and to do all these beautiful things and to bring in all of these amazing, beautiful quality ingredients. Make no mistake, I'm back here building all of, like I'm building this whole dining room. I'm building all my plates. I'm breaking everything down. Like this is not, it's beautiful and it's fun and it's glorious and I'm the most hands-on person you've ever met in your life. But, but one of the things I do like about it is it does have that, Broadway versus off-Broadway, it has the off-off-Broadway feel, right? It fe and we're talking about what it looks like walking through during the day. Yeah. And I hope none of the diners ever see what it looks like during no. the day. But those of us who have been around yeah. show business in our life understand that Vegas is always everything has to be slick all the time. But this, you don't mind with some of the, the strings showing, so to speak. No, no, I think it's important uh, that we don't take ourselves too seriously, right? This is not... I'm very self-aware of what's funny, the fact that this is a crazy, fancy restaurant experience, dining experience, um, but it's also humorous, and it's me, and I say fuck at the dining room table all the time. <laughs> like, right. this is very much not a polished experience. It is a representation of my version of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, which doesn't look like everybody else's. And I'm okay with that. Like, we, this is a dining room that's based on Miele's art. It's not based on shiny and new. It's based on a set. You're in a set. And to me, it's very important to constantly bring that level of performance to this table because that's where we are. That's what we're doing. That's what's funny. That's what's fun. That's what's engaging. And that's what we are. Right. Um, I'm not pretending to be somebody else. Cool. Just let people know, how far in advance do you have to book to get a seat at this table? Right now, it's about three months. Okay. Um, but we did just open for the year. We opened up all the bookings for the year. So we do have a lot of availability uh, starting in like October.
And as we made our way through the night at Lost Spirits, I could not help but think that the entire experience fits into a new trend we've been seeing of dinner and a show. Whether we're talking about Mayfair Supper Club or Delilah, something more off the wall like Super Frico, even a food tour lip-smacking foodie has that we've mentioned, um, I feel like Las Vegas has made a move towards packaging meals and entertainment together. Um, I put a lot of spots for dinner and a show on the Neon Feast app, although most of those happen to be primarily about music. But I don't think it's only about music that this happens. I think we're trying to get people out of this vibe where you rush to dinner, then you rush out of dinner to make it to a show, then you rush out of the show to make it to your gambling, then you rush out of your gambling to make it to the nightclub, that you can kind of relax. And Rob, you talked a bit about it being at Delilah. Is this a new trend? Are we going back to a classic Vegas vibe where you settle in one place for the whole evening? And does Lost Spirits fit in with those other places I mentioned? Well, let's go back a couple years. So 2019, 2020, everything was about the new Roaring Twenties. And you saw supper clubs emerging and there was a speakeasy everywhere. And there's still speakeasies everywhere. And we thought this was going to be a great new Roaring Twenties and we were going to love it. And then stuff happened, pandemic hit, we started yeah. to hate the new 20s, uh, World War Three is coming, uh, Will Smith yeah. is on the loose, right. and everyone's like, man, things kind of suck right now. Um, but you still have these incredible um, experiences that kind of borrow in the old school Prohibition era vibe, um, old school supper clubs, and Mayfair does a great job of it. Um, as I mentioned earlier, Delilah has a fantastic um, dining room and entertainment um, lineup there. And then you're just kind of seeing these speakeasies. That trend hasn't died down at all. And uh, people are appreciating cocktail lounges a little bit more in that environment. Um, so we're, it's definitely something that I don't think is going away anytime soon. And even when you go to a place like, say, Olives, they've got a, you know, the lounge yeah. is attached and mm -hmm. there's a lounge singer in there and she's actually coming and wandering the floor. And so, yeah, there's, there, there's just more entertainment with yeah. what you're doing and, and with uh, lost spirits they sort of keep their entertainment entertainment outside of the dining room component itself and they as i mentioned allow the food itself to kind of be the entertainment but still taking those dishes very seriously rick as a restaurateur man how do you feel about like trying to combine an entertainment aspect or even just anything from a lounge singer to to a crazy ass light show and to singing billy bass fish out the <laughs> out the window. Well, I I enjoy the experience, and as a as a past restaurateur in Las Vegas, I you know I I would I, I love live entertainment. I think it's so needs to be a part of what uh, Las Vegas is because you've even seen gaming tables turn into machines. Everything's turning into eh, 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 digital. I want live entertainment. There's just something super interactive and cool about it. You know, I used to go to the Italian American Club or whatever it was called in order yeah. to get a show yeah. while you're eating. You know, was the food fantastic? No, but the whole experience, that was dinner. That was the that was the night. You know, it's like having your own cabana when you go to a you know a, a, a pool or something. Yeah. That's your that's your domain. That's your land. Your table becomes your land and everything's happening around you and it's immersive experience. Again, it's just a continuation of the story that we were talking about earlier. So it's not easy. It's not easy to you know to hire and justify, and then you have to pay these uh, there's certain taxes on live entertainment, LETs, you know, and then everybody's like policing you. So you know you have to take it very seriously. So I did it. I experienced it so that I would know what it was like. Now I now I support um, live entertainment by going and spending money at the venues. At 
present it. Okay, well, thank you, everyone. The news is up next, including another story by our friend Rob about the newfound popularity of caviar. And we've got some caviar to eat while we do that. This is Food and Love. It's time for the news. And Rich, you recently sent me a Grub Street article about the growing trend of offering luxury ingredients like caviar, wagyu, truffles, things like that, in restaurants that aren't exclusively geared towards the money-is-no-object crowd. When I saw it, I immediately thought about another recent Thrillist article by Rob, and it was about all of the caviar offerings in Las Vegas. So start, Rich, you want to start this off, maybe summarize yeah. the story you sent me? Yeah, you know, no doubt you've seen the fine dining menus, the ribeye is X amount of dollars, the sauce another five. Oscar style with crab, asparagus, and holiday soda, another 15. Maybe adding a small lobster tails, another 40. The aforementioned dollop of caviar, another 20. A shaving of truffles, 70. The add-ons have become the rage. It does help restaurants with their bottom lines. It is flexible for the diners. It gives an inexperienced foodie like me a chance to try something new without going whole hog on, on a main that I may or may not enjoy. So, uh, I like all that. Grubstreet.com is the place to find that article and a lot of other stuff. Now, Rick, I'm eating this yeah. great yeah. caviar that you have, which is Passmore Caviar. I was yeah. dolloping this out for the rich people at Allegiant Stadium with you. Not <laughs> that's that right. Long. That's right. That's where. It, that's the leftovers. <laughs> this is the leftovers uh, from yeah. the Stadium. Um, okay. Well, good. Thank you. This is billionaire's caviar then. <laughs> But, you know, Rick, you are talking, I mean, with Perry's Steakhouse, you mm-hmm. you bring caviar to them as well, the chain. So what is it with this trend? Well, I mean, and, and it's happening in a lot of steakhouses now. You see a lot more steakhouses have that little box of caviar, what they're doing and the different presentations and you know how they can be different, et cetera. But what happens is in, in during COVID, during all of this, you know, uh, distribution changes, labor shortages, et cetera, et cetera. You couldn't, we couldn't get, as a company, we couldn't get stone crab. I mean, um, uh, Alaskan King crab legs. And that was an easy, you know, everybody understood. Alaskan King crab legs ups, upsell into a steakhouse. Everybody knows what it is. There's no secrets about it. But couldn't get them. So now there's a void. There's something that you have to fill a need for that upsell, that luxury upsell. And caviar just made sense. A good buddy of mine has a farm out in Sluhog, you know, Sluhouse, uh, California, which is near Sar- Sarasota. And um, Sarasota? Did I say that? Yeah. Saratoga. Florida. <laughs> I went to Florida. Florida. Caviar? I went to Florida. No, it's not from Florida, people. This is definitely, this is Pacific Ocean. Not, I mean, uh, Pacific side. And uh, delicious caviar. So I just said, you know, Let's let's see if we can make this happen, and so we did, and it made a lot of sense, and it's and it's working. So that I think that that from my perspective, from the chef working with the company, needing to fill in voids and needs in the formula that makes their business profitable, and it's a very thin margin profit, uh, you know, business to begin with. You got you, you need that. Rob, what did you find out when you were researching your thrillist piece about caviar? And um, well, what's, uh, the story kind of came about because uh, the national food editor at Thrillist, who used to be my Vegas editor, we were talking about something else, and she was like, oh, have you noticed, um, are you seeing caviar more often in Las Vegas? And I was like, actually, I have. I have noticed that <laughs> out and about. You just kind of see it more often. And um, if you want to sort of sum it up to, in one word, um, just in general, not just in Vegas, but the caviar kind of explosion in general right now, you could sum it up in China. Uh, China is now producing caviar and making it in a way that's more consistent, 
Um, if, and for this story, I talked to a lot of different chefs about it from throughout the country. And some use it, some don't, some vouch for it, some have questions. But uh, in the eight year or so process that it takes to harvest and produce caviar from beginning to end, you're sort of, it started eight or 10 years ago, and now you're starting to see kind of like this oh, yeah. explosion of availability about it. And my story goes into that, but you're starting to see it now in a world where costs are kind of going up across the board. China's yep. come in and saying, yeah. hey, we've got this caviar. It's very consistent. It's yep. very photogenic, which is what I keep hearing all the time. So for presentation and that kind of thing, it looks the same. And well, I gotta be, feel gotta like be, uh, a really involved farms because sturgeon are not low maintenance fish yeah well the whole thing not was you know when the soviet union fell apart yeah. um the caviar industry took a dramatic well, turn also yeah. the caspian sea was polluted as fuck right yeah so that's like, true and a lot of there was a lot of illegal um activity going on years ago and a lot of the big distributors like in new york where i was um they, they a lot of people committed suicide they were going to jail for forever because they were taking you know paddlefish caviar and putting them in, in cans and saying it's coming from russia etc cetera, etc cetera. and um and a lot of people got busted for it. And caviar went through a lot of things. Like you said, how do you project seven, eight years down the road? What is going to be the trend? How would you know? I don't know. Maybe you just make it the you trend. You make it the trend. Uh, oh, that's, yeah. And that's China. what China did. That. Is that's they, what they're doing. They're, they're doing it in these pristine waters and raising specifically, you know, the sturgeon for caviar there. And there were some stats that came out, I think, according to their top producer there, that nine out of 12 um, Michelin starred restaurants in Europe are using Kaluga or yeah using the Chinese caviar and raving about it okay well great places to get caviar in Vegas I like the new caviar bar at um, I like the new caviar bar at Resorts World I, I do love too. Harlow I think that's really good Harlow's got a good caviar program yes, there's a do. lot of cool places and, Petrosian and we, at Bellagio is always a great spot yeah. and we should mention that um, uh, Harlow Steakhouse Gina gets her caviar from um, Forte. Forte. Forte Tapas. Yeah. Some great caviar. You know. yeah. And one more shout out to Rick's Passmore Caviar, right? That's yeah, what we're man. having. Passmore here. Ranch. It's really I, good. I have a sturgeon story from my childhood of one of a friend of my father's, because they were fishermen, salmon fishermen on the Columbia River. And the father of the friends went sturgeon fishing mm -hmm. on the banks of Washington side near the mouth of the Columbia in the early sixties when the sturgeon were huge. The sturgeon dragged him to his death yeah. wow dragged him right into the columbia that sucks for for your friend oh well i kind of do like it when the animal wins one puts the sporting into sport but um let go of the pole yeah that goes the pole. i mean come on at a certain point that becomes your fault doesn't it i mean yeah, i don't want to sure. blame the victim or anything but wrapped around well, the sturgeon is like a prehistoric fish i yeah. mean it dates back to that it's those are big oh guys. yeah ugly yeah. Oh, yeah, they're bottom feeders. They're big catfish. Yeah. You know? uh, a couple more news items. Just run through them real quickly. Harris Las Vegas will open Ramsey's Kitchen sometime this fall. It'll be his sixth restaurant within the Caesars Entertainment portfolio. His second Ramsey's Kitchen location. The restaurant will draw inspiration from his personal kitchen, we're told. Take guests on a, quote, a culinary journey around the world. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then they mention what it'll have. Raw <laughs> bar, soup, salad, sandwiches, signature mains, Ooh, and more. Surprise. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of a menu. But, um, hey, I appreciate that. Six restaurants on the strip for Gordon Ramsay. 
Ramsey. I believe that's either tying or breaking a record for celebrity chefs, but it's not that outlandish. I know Emeril at his peak had at least five, maybe six. Wolfgang probably had five or six at, at the top of his game on the strip. So I don't know if that oversaturated the market. How about Mina? Mina's got Mina at his. You peak. know what? I, yeah. What I what I like about Mina is that uh, he's got four different restaurants on the strip, and they're all so different from each other. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I do think that Gordon does that as well. I don't think uh, there yeah, are. They're Gordon, all different. That's in my rip- opinion, you know, the steakhouse is where you go if you want to have Gordon Ramsay, the foodie mm-hmm. experience. If you want the TV experience, you go to Hell's Kitchen. Mm-hmm. The other things in between give you yeah. little yeah. touches, right? Yeah. But you'll, you'll have some crossover like the Beef Wellington at two different places. And yeah. Things like yeah. That. And it's yeah. kind of funny you bring this up because I actually just turned in a story on celebrity chef restaurants. And it's kind of like an update of a story I did a few years ago where we were sort of ranking quote-unquote celebrity chefs and i probably got more negative feedback on that story (laughs) because you get into the debate of you know first rankings are yeah idiotic to begin with yeah but also who's a celebrity chef and who's not and you bring local figures into the mix and you know i kind of kept it to national names but it's kind of interesting to see the variety that each individual not all of them but some really do like rich melman in uh, Chicago, Let yeah. Us Entertain You really did that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone's. Familiar. Oh, I love those yeah. places. I yeah. lived in Chicago. Each and every one of them. Monami Gabby. Yeah, that's right. Here. Shaw's Crab House. Oh, yeah, yeah, good stuff. I remember going to Ramsey's, the pub at Caesars, shortly after it opened, and it had really stupid, lousy fish and chips. And then I went to the fish and chips fish place and in chips. the link when it opened, and it's the best fish and chips I've had in the Valley. Yeah, and I would say his pub is probably where he had the biggest struggle um, of any of the Ramsey restaurants. And I chalk that up a lot to the huge volume they do in a place that was designed to be Bradley Ogden. It still has the old Bradley Ogden kitchen, which is you know was not made for churning yeah. out Gordon Ramsey numbers. So but, much, um, so much, so much talent came out of that space, that, that yeah. square footage, that it's hard to uh, to. Actually, I, even Gordon Ramsay couldn't keep up with that. Yeah, it's hard to... The tradition that was there. Come out of there. But look, Gordon has something for everybody. I think he puts out some great restaurants. Even I, I like his burger place. The burgers I like his are fish good, chips. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I like that you can get a different version of Sticky Toffee Pudding at absolutely every one of his restaurants. So that <laughs> I think doing a tour of the Sticky Toffee Puddings would be a tri- treat in and of itself. <laughs> I should know we've had a couple deaths in the culinary community. I don't have a lot of details on either. The first was um, Stavros Giorgio. I didn't really know, and I'm sorry I mispronounced his name if I did there. I didn't really know him that well, but I know he was well-loved by a lot of my friends in the local community. So, of course, sending out love and condolences to them. If anybody knows of any um, benefits or causes, please let me know on that. The other was Chef Aaron Bryan of El Luchador. I just found that out. He was on that show, not our show, not all that long ago at the start of Hatch Chili season. He was telling us about getting them into stock and his plans for roasting them. Again, I just texted over there to see if there are any details, any specific memorials or tributes. Nobody's gotten back to me yet. I will share that information as soon as I get it. Um, you know, obviously we're a community here and we, you know, we when one of us is hurting, we're all hurting. So yeah. my condolences to everybody who knew and loved that. And one. I just actually interviewed uh, Aaron Bryan a little over a week ago, wow. I believe. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, this is definitely a shock. And uh, our thoughts are with uh, people at the El Luchador team and his family and friends. Amen. Let me lead into the cannabis review with word of a cannabis-friendly hotel. Coming to Vegas, Pro Hospitality Group of Phoenix has closed on The Artisan, that 64-room hotel right at the corner of Sierra and Interstate 15. Paid $12 million for it. They're going to put about $3 million into it and reopen by September as, yes, a cannabis-friendly hotel because we know that every place else in, in the Valley is 
cannabis hospital hostile when it comes to you know, <laughs> yeah well, anybody with a gaming license is yeah. going to be cannabis hospital which is of course because of regulatory people and federal laws but it also has to do with the fact that man drunks are great gamblers they'll gamble on anything but stoners are the shittiest gamblers man. <laughs> I, i'll sit there i'll sit there yeah. with an 11 against a six and look at that for 20 fucking minutes while I'm stoned, not know what to do against oh <laughs> uh, um you know what for our cannabis edibles review this week you know i realized i got to move away from the chocolates as it heats up because you can't keep chocolates in your car or your pocket <laughs> in the summertime right so trying to go back to baked goods i walked into um exhale last night again one thing i love about exhale when they tell you there's a price on the sticker that's what you pay walking out the door walked in they were doing these fx effex these squares they're all kind of cereal bars and shit like that three for 35 bucks again that's with all the taxes out the door they're 100 milligram squares a uh, rick i I picked up three of them. I got a Fruity Pebble kind of mix, although they're not allowed to say that because they get sued, I'm sure, <laughs> yeah. by General Mills if they did. They've got a chocolate chip kind of cereal thing, and then they've got this other one that I just opened for us. It's like Cocoa Krispies. It looks like Cocoa Pebbles, right? I mean, if, yeah. I, if I didn't want to get sued by the Flintstone people, I probably wouldn't say that, but I don't really care, Fred. Go ahead. Ooh, it's me. heavy. It's dense. It feels like Cocoa Pebbles. It's a square. It's 100 milligrams. The whole thing. For that whole square, and now breaking that off into 10 milligram bites seems like a bitch and a half. So, Rick, do you just, he's peeling off the warning label that tells children that it's full of cannabis, yeah, so but, if they don't uh, eat it, but sticks, think you could eat it's that. It's weird. Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird. So, um, dig in, Rick. What I do you think, man? <laughs> you just try to break point. off a little bit of a, maybe a five or ten. I mean, I used to love the Rice Krispie marshmallow, the, oh, yeah. the Rice Krispie no bars. cannabis for you guys? No? Okay. I, don't, I have deadlines today. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, it's kind of just like a Rice Krispie treat, right? A little chocolatey, cocoa pebbles. I can taste the weed like a mother on that. That is, that is one bushy, weedy tasting. <laughs> bushy. Ba yeah. Baked goods always taste more like weed than the chocolates or the savories or anything else. Um, maybe gummies don't as much, but baked goods are heavy on the weed flavor. I think this is heavy on the weed flavor, but it's sweet and it's not. It's not terrible. I mean, it is. You definitely taste the weed, but it's right. uh, it's it's sort of pleasant. Yeah, it's not bad if you like the taste of weed. It's yeah. awesome, but you're not. And also, that's why I don't think you need that big giant warning label because anybody who tastes this is going to know that it's packed with weed. Biggest problem on this is again, I like to microdose a lot. You know, I like yeah. to try to do five milligrams or less in a serving sometimes, and you ain't going to do that on this. It's almost impossible to even find a ten milligram serving. I say. Break this out with your friends when you're in for the night and it's Netflix yeah, chill. Exactly. That's the way to do it. By the way, it's now a good time to mention I also have a cannabis dispensary story coming out soon. It's a perfect yes, time. Perfect so time. I got a story for every segment in this podcast. I think. Wow, you should just do a podcast. I'm taking a couple weeks off, Rob. You want to take it over? Yeah. Also, Let me give you my card. Um, I think the tasting room is back open at New Will. I don't know if that's old news or not. New but I, well, Yes. New yes. Will, the um, one up in North Las Vegas. It's on that. It's technically it's on tribal. Well, it, yeah, right? Indian downtown. Yeah. It's, it's downtown, so oh. it's not quite that far. But okay. there is one that's north, kind of by in the northwest, um, a second smaller oh. one. But the Real. one downtown has its uh, tasting room back open, so it's kind of the only thing that can be officially called a uh, consumption lounge. lounge. Yeah. yeah, consumption lounge, which is always weird. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you do. It's not like you can't 
it's not the Marche Bacchus of weed. You can't just <laughs> buy your raw weed and then take it into the lounge. It's they more like the markup. You have yeah. to buy a package, like a bottle service yeah. package to sit in a club, which is only fair because, well, let's face it, you, they've got to make money if they're going to host you as a lounge. They're so. going to model it after uh, the, you know, the coffee shops in uh, Amsterdam. You, yeah. know, you go there and they got, they've got microscopes that people can look at the crystalline formations on whatever it is that they're purchasing. And also the other new trend with uh, dispensaries too, which Nulu was the first to do as well is the drive-through window. You're starting to see that a lot more often now. <laughs> That's going to be popular. Don't that... drive and consume at the same time. <laughs> cool. Oh no, one's going to do that. Yeah. Nobody knows. That is it for this episode of Food and Loathing. Thanks to all of our guests, Rick Moon and Rob Catchell Reese. They get it right that time? Oh, shit, I love it when I get it right. Um, <laughs> also to our friends from UNL Vino and to Chef Taylor from, um, from Lost Spirits Distillery. Thank you all for being on this week's podcast and making it so much fun. Please tell a friend about Food and Loathing. Spread the word on social media. Find all the handles at Al's website, theneonmohawk.com. Reach us direct by email, info at foodandloathing.vegas. And if you haven't done it, what the hell is wrong with you? Download the Neon Feast app. Use it to find your next dining destination. Bagels, Brazilian, breakfast and beyond, whatever you need, whatever you want. You didn't get past the bees, did you? Well, next time, you know, it's an alphabetical thing. You know, you'll find it at the Neon Feast. With producer Rich Johnson, I'm Al Mancini. Stay hungry. Stay hungry.